staff at Heart of the Canyons, and I've been there since uh, about 1998, something like that. I, I've done, uh, I was a youth pastor most of my life, so I still have that silliness that comes out <laughs> any time, so be aware. And uh, I did work with small groups for a while, and then I was doing, I was the ministry pastor, which is uh, determined uh, people's spiritual gifts and how God has just uniquely put them together to serve him. So that's been really good, is putting people in the ministry according to their gifts and abilities. So that's been really exciting. And uh, then recently, uh, the last couple of years, I uh, was able to develop a one-on-one -on -one discipleship <coughs> program, and we've, uh, we've discipled about 100 people so far. And uh, it's going into a couple of countries now. <laughs> and then there's another, uh, I was on vacation this last week, and, and uh, my, my son, he, uh, he loves the Lord a lot. He wants to be a missionary one day, but he really tries to dedicate his life to every moment, every circumstance, to live biblically for God. And so we, we were at a motel, and he was uh, praying that God would lead us to someone we could share, either encourage them as a Christian or uh, share Christ with them. And uh, this is like every, I mean, this happens to him a lot. And uh, so I went in there where they had this continental breakfast. I went and sat at this table where there's nobody around, you know. But not Mark. He goes and he sat at this table. There was, there was one guy sitting there. And so, and then he, he went like this on the table. So that's an entry point to share Christ. If you're praying like that. And it turns out this guy that we talked to was uh, in a, uh, a group of about 15 other guys. He was the only Christian. And he was desperate for fellowship and encouragement. So he ended up coming to our room and I got his email. I'm going to send him all the discipleship materials. And it was an absolute miracle. So it's just so neat how you can live every day. I think uh, what God showed me through that whole experience was what abundant life is about. You know, we think of abundant life as maybe having stuff, you know, and being happy all the time. But abundant life is when you, you're just walking in the Spirit. God, what do you want me to do moment by moment? And as you pray for those things, He puts things into your life. And so God really showed me that. So, well, I have a little handout here, so I'm going to hand it out. That's what handouts do. So I hand out. So, and there's a few blanks on here. I don't have a pen or not to, uh, or a pencil. But I'll let you know. It's pretty simple. You might be able to figure out the answer just by, by reading it. You know, here you go. You know, preachers tend to keep talking. So I'll try not to. <laughs> it's over like three hours. <laughs> well, I, I've uh, been studying, I have a Bible study that I teach over at Friendly Valley on Tuesday morning. I've been doing that for about 10 years, and we've done a study of First uh, John, James, and Romans. It's just, wow. Again, we're doing a study on those three books. On your own or whatever, do it because they're just amazing. So we did a study of First John, and I just was so excited about what I was finding that I, I wanted to share that with you, and I shared that over at Part of the Canyons. 
as well. So we're going to jump right into this and you can follow along and it's all about not loving the world. We're going to define what the world is, what it isn't. But there's a lot of contrasts or opposites that we experience in life. It's like cats and dogs. I don't know if you have cats and dogs that live in the same house. Uh, and they can get to like each other. But then there's other contrasts. There's like UCLA, USC fans. Uh, there's uh, Dodger, Angel fans. And there's uh, the contrast between women and men. We won't go there. But in the book of 1 John, what we're going to look at this morning, there's a series of contrasts. Things like light and darkness, obedience, disobedience, hate, and love. There's a contrast that describes uh, God and his experience in Psalm 97, where, where David says, Hate evil, you who love the Lord. That's a contrast. Uh, we love God and we hate evil. And as we grow in Christ, our desire is to love what he loves and hate what he hates. So you know you're growing in your faith when you're hating your sin more and more. And so 1 John tells us that God is a God of love. He's incomprehensible, pure, unadulterated love. So it's strange to comprehend that God would hate anything. And yet the Bible says that there are some things that are detestable to him. In Proverbs 6, it lists the things that God hates. God hates proudful eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. He hates a heart that devises wicked plans. He hates feet that run to evil. He hates false witnesses who utter lies or one who spreads strife among brothers or gossip. So it lists there the things, some of the things that God hates, although he's a loving God. What a contrast we see there. So we are to hate evil, all who love the Lord. And we can honestly say that God hates evil. And so there's a contrast for you. But as we said, 1 John is a book of contrast. And it tells us to love others, but it also tells us to not love the world. So in a sense, we can say that this is the love that God hates, is loving the world. Because when we love the world more than Him, that love is detestable to Him. So I want to explore some of the reasons why we should not love the world. We're going to jump right into this outline right here. And the number one is, do not love the world for what the world is. And for what the world is. Verse 15 tells us, do not love the the world. So what is this world that John is talking about here? Is it the physical world that we're supposed to hate? Does he tell us to hate the Grand Canyon or Yosemite or the Aurora Borealis? We're supposed to hate that world. I had a, a ninth grade science teacher who had signs and posters all over the walls of his classroom and there was one that had a sign that he had there under the clock that read Time will surely pass, will you? So for all the students that are all looking at the clock, time will pass, will you? And that was clever. I remember that all my life, of course. About one thing I learned in the class, and I wasn't much of a studier, but he had another picture on the wall of his classroom. It was a poster of a, a deer grazing in a field. 
And there was an inscription underneath it from Psalm 24. 24.1 that said, The world is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. And I always think about that verse when I go out and see some beautiful country. And the world is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. So this beautiful picture of a deer grazing in the field. Is that the world that we're supposed to hate? Is John saying do not love that world? Well, God created that world. And he said it was good. And he loves his creation. And so do I. So I might rebel if he told me to stop loving Yosemite Valley, which I took my kids every year to Yosemite, or uh, the Rogue River in Oregon. I was there just last week. Or the Snake River in the Grand Tetons. My wife and I, before we had kids, we went down the Snake River in the Grand Tetons. As the sun was setting, and we saw every imaginable animal you can think of. And it was just, uh, it was beautiful. So, Jesus, don't make me hate that world. And so, I agree with him. It's good. And uh, I love this world, and so does he. Is that the world I'm supposed to hate? I don't think so, right? And there's another world to consider. The world of mankind. Is this world that he's talking about the world of mankind? Is that what John's talking about? They hate that world? Uh, we should all, uh, sometimes we want to just give up on human beings and live in caves and separate ourselves from everybody because they stink and sweat and their breath smells and they get grouchy and cut you off on the freeway and we get a little tired of humans sometimes. How easy it would be to just give up on humans. Well, Jesus didn't give up on humans. He loves the world of humanity. In fact, there's a verse you all know by heart that goes like this. For God so loved the world. <gasps> Is there a contradiction in the Bible? Because he just said don't love the world. And then John 3.16 says for God so loved the world. And he gave his son. And so God loves his created world. He loves humanity because he gave himself up for us. And so I sometimes wonder what I would do if I created humans. I'd kind of like, well, give up on us a long time ago. But, but God is love. And he so loved the world that he invaded this sin-infested place and became one of us. And then what does he do? He dies for us and he takes our place. He died a death that should have been ours. I love Romans 5, 8 that says, But God... God demonstrated his love toward us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves the world of humanity and he loves the, his created world as well. And so, so God does love his created world. He does love the world of humanity and he loves his creation so much and how he loves mankind to send his son to die for those like me and you. And yet, here he says, do not love the world. So what is this world we are to hate? There's a world, in case you have not noticed, that is invisible, and it's led by Satan, and it is opposed to God and opposed to Christ. And it's the very opposite of what is godly. Jesus called the devil the prince of the power of this world. And this prince has an organization of evil spirits working with him, influencing the affairs of this world. And our enemy tries to influence us with all kinds of things that are evil. 
That is the world that we are to hate. This is the world we're supposed to stand far away from. That is the world we are not to love or be conformed to. Remember Romans 12 too? Do not be conformed to this world. Conform means to be pressed into its mold. And so the unsaved, whether they realize it or not, are energized by the prince of the power of the air. And Jesus called them children of this world. The saved person does not belong to this world. This world is not our natural habitat. I hope, I hope you don't feel too comfortable here. Philippians 3.20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven. This is not our residence. People ask me, where do you live? People might ask me, where do you live? And you might say, Canyon Country. No, you don't. What street? Nadal. No, you don't. You can say, I live on Gold Street if you live in Valencia, maybe. But... Don't get too comfortable here. I can't get comfortable here. I hope you're not too comfortable in this world. You know, because it's not our home. The Navy had a submarine that went deep down into the water. And they found that the sides were caving in by the pressure of the water. How do you think they fixed the problem? What they did was they put pressure on the inside of the sub to counteract the pressure on the outside of the sub do you understand where I'm going here? You see, the Christian is in this habitat that wants to crush us, and it's foreign to who we are. So we need pressure from the inside out to counteract what the world tries to do to us. And how do you overcome the world? Things like prayer, fellowship, uh, and being in God's Word on a continual basis. Because this place is polluted, and it's getting worse. And so we need to put on the equipment to survive the pressure. Do not love the world, that ungodly, satanic system that opposes Christ. That's what John is talking about. And that world will crush you if you let it. If you give it an inch, it takes a mile. Don't think that you can just get a taste of the world here and there. You don't get away with it. People say, I'm cutting down on pornography. You cut it out. It's radical amputation. Do not love the world. So ask yourself, how much does the world influence me? And more than you realize, what you watch on television, the movies you go to, the friends that you have, you're either an effector or an effectee. You affect others for good, that's a good friendship to have. If you're being affected negatively, think about who you're hanging with. So, are you influenced by the world and not realizing it? So, great advice. You can write this on your notes there. And memorize this verse from Philippians 4, 8. It's been on my mind. It's probably a verse that's been on my mind more recently than any other verse. Where it says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on those things. That's a good way to not love the world right there. I have a habit. I get up in the morning, go get the paper, coffee, and I see all the bad news. And I was thinking this week, okay, coffee's okay. But why don't you get your Bible in the first thing of the day where you're getting truth and what's honorable and pure and lovely. So, so don't love the world because of what it is. And what is it? It's not Yosemite, and it's not humanity, because God loves them both. 
It's that belief system that slowly, subtly gets into your heart and draws you away from biblical principles. Do not love that world. So, we know the world that we're supposed to hate. Secondly, do not love the world for what the world does to us. That's number two, what the world does to us. Verses 12 to 16, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So the world does things to us if we're in the world. How does the world get to us? And John represents the fact and presents the fact that if a person loves the world, that system that's opposed to God, how can the love of the Father be in him? If your best friend is the world, he asks, how can God's love be in you? So what is in the world that causes us to fall? What in the world? John lists three influences the world has on us. And the first one is the lust of the flesh. You mentioned it this morning uh, when you were worshiping. You received your flesh when you came into the world. An evil nature. And that flesh left to itself practices the evil world system, the flesh. Your old nature is easily attracted to the things of the world, but there's good news for the Christian. When one comes to Christ, he's given a new nature, and you have the miracle of the new birth. And the Holy Spirit comes into us, and he imparts new life into us, and we're born into his family, and we have a new nature. But we still have the old nature, the flesh. So we have the one nature from our physical birth. We have a new nature from our spiritual birth. And that old nature produces sin. And the new nature produces a holy life. And we are to live according to the new nature. That's what Galatians 5 talks about, the difference between the flesh and the spirit. And the deeds of the flesh, the deeds of the spirit. And the deeds of the flesh are mentioned in Galatians. You might recognize some of these. Immorality, that's sexual sin. Sensuality, that's sexual sin. Idolatry, sorcery is where we get the word pharmakeia, which is drugs. Enmities, which is division. Sensuality, sexual sin. Outbursts of anger, disputes, that's division. Dissensions, that's division. Factions, that's division. Envying, drunkenness, and carousing. Very interesting that there's a lot in there in your old nature that easily succumbs to sexual sin and division. That's in your nature. Division between husbands and wives and parents and kids. Like do funerals and the brothers and sisters wanting to talk to each other. That shouldn't happen. If you're walking in the spirit and filled with the spirit, there won't be these divisions between you. So every time we read about the flesh in the Bible, the answer is always the spirit. Good point. Don't fall asleep. Get that. That the answer to the difficulties of the flesh is the Holy Spirit that he's given to you. Galatians 5.16, it says, But I say walk by the Spirit. And then what does it say then? And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So you appropriate the Holy Spirit's power in your life. There was a Native American, he explained it this way, I have two dogs living in me, a mean dog and a good dog. They're always fighting each other. He was asked, who wins? And he answered, whomever I feed. 
You see, if we feed the new nature with God's word and fellowship and prayer, we will live a godly life. There's nothing good in the flesh. Romans 13, 14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Galatians 5, 16, memorize that. That's another verse that's been on my mind so much lately. Is But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. So, so we have certain desires and these desires in and of themselves are not evil, but when they get out of control, they're evil. An example, hunger is not sin, gluttony is. Thirst is not evil, but drunkenness is. Sleep is a gift of God, but laziness is shameful. Sex is God's great gift, but used wrongly, it's immorality. So those desires aren't wrong, but they need to come under the control of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, the world appeals to that normal appetite, those normal appetites that we have, and tempts us to satisfy those in the wrong way. And so the world appeals to that lower nature. But there's nothing good in your flesh. You can't say, my flesh is better now. The flesh is the flesh. It's all bad all the time. You just have to counteract it with the, the spirit in you. And so... But there's nothing good about the flesh. Matthew 26, 41. The flesh is weak. Romans 7, 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Jesus said in John 6, 63, the flesh profits nothing. And the appeal is everywhere to your flesh. The appeal comes from the world, the world that we are to hate. And we have the desire, but they have to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Here's the way it works. Desire. Okay. Uh, you're supposed to control your desires by the Holy Spirit. And so, there's desire. Sin, maybe not sin, but the desire is there, controlled by the Spirit. Next, there's deception. That's kind of the baiting of the hook when you put a, a worm on a hook and it looks good. So what we have to do is learn to recognize that deception. And there's still not sin yet. All right? You have this desire. Holy Spirit controls you. Then you have this deception that's trying to get you to bite into the hook. And you can stay clear of that. And you still haven't sinned. Right? But recognize the deception. And then there's disobedience. And that's where the will comes in. Where you say to yourself, I'm going to do it. I'm going to grab that worm on the end of that hook it looks so good i'll just bypass the hook part you know what i mean so that's when the, that's willful sin and so there's desire there's deception and there's disobedience so be filled with the spirit and you won't carry out the desires of the flesh you'll be able to recognize the deception in this world and you'll be obedient instead of disobedient so here's what we have to do Feed and develop the new nature, starve and deny the old nature. Feed and develop the new nature and starve and deny the old nature. That's what we're going to have to do. And so if we are going to defeat that, the desires of the old nature, we have to begin every day with yielding our bodies to God as a living, holy sacrifice, which is your spiritual services of worship. Sometimes we think that worship is Sunday morning with a guitar. That is. 
But you know what Romans 12.1 said? It's dedicating your body a living, holy sacrifice to God. That's your spiritual service of worship. So you can worship all day how you use this body. Your body's a temple. In the Old Testament, that God was in the temple and they sinned and the glory departed. In the tabernacle, God's presence was there and they sinned and he departed. Here's what Jesus said about this temple. He said, I will send you the Holy Spirit and I will be in you forever. See the difference? The Holy Spirit is in you forever. And that's why we're able to grieve him sometimes. You know? So, I know you've heard that before. I don't care. Because I need to hear things a whole lot of times before I get it. Right? So, how many times do we hear something before we start following it? So, spend time in the Word. Are you doing that? I know you hear that. I should spend time in the Word. And then you go for a week and don't spend time in the Word. God says, spend time in the Word. So let's do it. Let's get up 10 minutes earlier. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word I've treasured in my heart that I won't sin against you. Feed the new, starve the old. Feed the new, starve the old. Feed the new, starve the old. You got it? <laughs> so, when temptation, temptations come, turn to Him for victory, and God will guard you against temptation. You know, there's scriptures that are specific to your temptation. You know, if you have a problem with lust, uh, guys have a problem with lust, so do girls. Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How can I gaze at the virgin? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that you have from God that is in you? Therefore glorify God with your body. So there's scriptures that just apply it. If you fear, Isaiah 41.10 will eliminate fear. Memorize Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, I'm with you. Don't anxiously look around you. For I'm your God. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know? And it works. So, anyway, I can go on forever like that. And I can't go on forever. But, so... So that's just, uh, that's uh, uh, the first one that Paul, that John mentions is the lust of the flesh. And so, and then there's a lust of the eyes. You know, your eyes have an appetite. Whoever said, uh, feast your eyes on this, I think we can understand that. And uh, these are the pleasures that gratify our sight. In the days when John wrote this, the Greeks and Romans lived for entertainment and activities that excited the eyes. Psalm 119.37 says, Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity. And in the book of Joshua, God warned Israel to not take the spoils out of conquer Jericho, but Achan did. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw the spoil with my eyes, the silver and the bar of gold and 50 shekels in weight. I coveted them and I took them and they are concealed inside my tent. The eyes are the gateway to the mind. Watch out what you're watching. Watch what you're watching. Watch out what you're watching. No, don't be channel surfing. Don't take pictures in your head. There's a car we all want. <coughs> Praise the Lord, I wanted a Nissan Sentra, so... God's grace. It wasn't a Mercedes I wanted. You know? But it didn't matter. 
You know, and be careful what you set your eyes on. <clears throat> the world attracts us through our eyes. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. I know some of you are trying to write down these scriptures. But Proverbs 23, 4 and 5 says, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Seize from consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it's gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like the eagle that flies towards the heavens. The lust of the eye, watch out what you're watching. And that's how the world influences us. Opinion? I, I just, you just read it in 1 John, it's right there. He tells us, do not love the world. We know what the world is, right? And then how does the world influence us? It's through these ways. It's your old nature of the flesh. Get controlled by the spirit. You won't carry out the desires of the flesh. It's the lust of the eyes. Turn away my eyes from vanity. It's a gateway to the soul. And then the third one is, at the bottom of your notes, is the pride of life. God's glory is so rich and full, and man's glory is vain and empty. The Greek word for pride is used to describe a, a braggart who tries to impress people with his importance. We're driven. This is so subtle. We're doing this. We might have done that this morning, walking in here. We're driven to impress others, and it's so subtle. You might say, I don't do that one, but think about it. People love to outdo each other with their homes and cars and wardrobes, and, and that temptation that comes to us from an ungodly, unholy world, that's what the world does. You know, And there might be people that aren't sitting in those chairs today because they're paying for toys that they don't need this morning. So when the Christian goes for the allurements of the world, he loses the enjoyment of the desire to do the Father's will. And what happens is the Bible gets boring, prayers are short, fellowship is empty, and we don't get into the world suddenly. It happens just by forgetting about God for a few days. If I forget about God for two or three days, I'm, you don't want to be around me. Because he makes a difference. It makes a difference in my being a husband and a father and a friend. And, and he makes all the difference, you know. So, uh, just forgetting about God, you know. And you stop praying and you neglect the word in your life. And you start saying, Christians are kind of weird, although I am one. And those guys seem to have more fun at work than I do. I'm going to hang around with them. My wife has been ignoring me for a while, and that girl at work, she smiles at me in such a way that my wife doesn't anymore. It's subtle, and it's selfish, and it's self-seeking, and it's unloving. And we ask ourselves later, how did I get here? You ever been in a place where you say, how did I get here? Because the world overtakes you. Here's how it works. First, there's friendship with the world. That's James 4.4. James says, do, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So you're kind of friends with the world. And then James says in 127 of James, one becomes spotted by the world. Because James 127 says, keep yourself unspotted by the world. Because the world leaves its dirty marks on us. And then we start to accept the ways of the world. And the next step where we become loving the world. First John, what does it say? Do not love the world. And then, what comes after that is you become conformed to the world, Romans 12, 2. So there's friendship with the world, James 4, 4. 
You're spotted by the world in James 1.27, and then you become conformed to the world in Romans 12.2. And the process happens to us. It happened to Lot. You remember Lot in Genesis 13 and 14? He looked towards Sodom with the lust of his eyes. Then he pitched his tent towards Sodom, looking over the well-watered plains of Jericho. Then he moved in. So the city of Sodom was destroyed, and everything that Lot lived for went up in smoke. And he was a believer who got swept up by the world's enticement. And it all started with the lust of the eyes. Do not love the world, that system, nor the things in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is of the world. So don't love the world because of what it is. It's that godless, anti-God system of the enemy. And because of what the world does to us. Look what it does to it. It appeals to the, the lust of our flesh and the lust of our eyes and the ugliness of pride. So how do we grow up? Let's grow up in Christ to stay clear of the sin-infested world. We need to grow up. How do we do that? And that's number three. And that's number three. Do not love the world for what, the, for what a Christian is. For what a Christian is. And this... We're not going to love the world because what a Christian is. And here's what 12 to 14 says. I'm writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I've written to you children because you know the father. I've written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I've written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So, now go back to the first verse again. It says, I am writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven. We're God's children. How can we love the world when we are His children? We're part of His family. This isn't our home. Remember that? It's not a place where God is honored. Did you notice that? The more we grow as Christians, the less we love it here. The more we grow in Christ, the less stuff here attracts us. We need to grow. And in this section, this illustrates three phases of our Christian growth. The more we grow, the less we love the world. And John's going to give us three phases of the Christian growth whereby we can steer clear of this world and all its attractions. And the first place he tells us about is that this growth projection, you can see it here in your notes, little children, young men, and fathers. That's a growth projection, right? So the little children in verse 12, the term refers to all believers. All believers, it means born ones. So I'm writing to you little children means all believers. That's what it means. So all Christians have been born into God's family and we are forgiven. The very fact that we're a part of God's family, sharing his name should discourage us from becoming friends in the world. Okay, but then you get to the next verse, and it repeats little children. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the one. I'm writing to you, children, because you know the father. So the next verse, the little children, is a different Greek word. In verse 13, the term means immature ones, or little children under the authority of children, or under the authority of teachers and tutors. These are baby Christians. So first he says little children, that's all of us as Christians. And then he repeats little children, and the word means 
baby Christians, you need to grow up. And uh, so they know the Father, but they have a lot of growing to do. They need to unlove the world. They don't know the Father, but they're not grown up. They're immature baby Christians. They know the Father. They've been forgiven. They need to grow. They need to grow by taking in the pure milk of the word, like First Peter says, instead of stale milk. I had some buttermilk in the refrigerator one time. It was there for like six weeks. And I grabbed that thing and took a swig of it. Right before lunch, I tell you this, right? And uh, that's my buttermilk experience. And that's what the world should taste like to the Christian. Where did I get that? Anyway, so that is the little church. And then there's young men. And it says they've conquered the evil one because they know the word of God. These guys are seeking God. They're in a small group. They have a daily reading plan. They're learning the word and they're using it in their life. They're finding victory through the sword of the spirit. And the word of God abides in them. They've memorized the word. They've hid the word in their heart. They're able to encourage others with the word. That's a young man. So who's this father person? I mean... You mean there's some, somebody that's more mature than that? My wife and I had the same spiritual father. We met at his Bible study. And uh, he goes to Pete's over here, coffee shop, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And if you've ever been over there, he, he'll take a picture of you so he can pray for you. He'll ask you first. That's my spiritual father. And you over there say, Dave, you know Dave? He'll say, wonderful guy. He's a spiritual father. And so, but Tudor, get this. Don't, I don't want to lose you because I'm talking and I'm excited. And so hopefully your heart isn't excited by God's word. And that will keep you with me. Because if you're, mm, I got the roast in the oven. I got the Dodgers. Oh, I hope they take three out of four from Cincinnati. Don't go there. Stay with me for, for just a few <laughs> minutes now. And I will be done. Two different verses say the Father's know the Heavenly Father. It says two times that they know the Father. They know, know the Father. They doubly know the Father. Verse 13, I'm writing to you fathers because you know Him. Verse 14, I'm writing to you fathers because you know Him. It repeats it twice. You see, it says they know the Father. They doubly know Him. The children and the young men are not described as know, knowing the Father. The fathers are doubly know the heavenly father. What, a, what does a good father look like? Fathers have this intimate relationship with God. They know God. They know the dangers of this world because they've been there. They've experienced tough times. They know by experience what it's like to have God near them in tough times. I hope you guys, your pastor, he's a wonderful man. I am so pressed, impressed. With young, it's just crazy. He's a great godly man. And I would venture to say he's a spiritual father. We need spiritual fathers to come alongside us in tough times. You know, people ask, why did Job have to go through what he went through? Why do people have to go through what they go through? And I see a common thread in our suffering. In James, there's a single verse that is, acts as a commentary on the whole book of Job. Because we say, why did Job have to go through that? Or we say, why did I have to go through that? And we ask that question. And there's this little verse in James 
And uh, Job found what other spiritual fathers had found because James is talking about patience and he gives the example of Job. And he said, this is James 4.11. If you ever get the question of why did Job have to go through it? Why do I have to go through it? And here's your answer. James 4.11. It says, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. Here it is. That the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. That's what Job learned. That the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So here's what spiritual fathers are like. They know it in here, but they know it in here, and they've experienced it. They'll come alongside you and say, you're dealing with that? Oh, I've been there. Let me pray for you. And you know that they love you. You know that, that they've been through what you're going through. That's a spiritual father. I want to be like that. You know? And sometimes it takes a, a few years before you're able to understand and encourage people that way. You see, spiritual fathers have been around the block. They've experienced circumstances and trials and and, and come away from those things learning that God is full of mercy and compassion. Think about it. The hardest times in your life, you found during those times that God is compassionate and merciful. Right? Isn't that the truth? I mean, it's the truth. So, you go through one trial, God is compassionate and merciful. You go through another trial, God is compassionate and merciful. Spiritual fathers have news for you when you come to them that God is compassionate and merciful. And so if you're learning that, you can be a woman and be a spiritual father. Because, you know, that's what we're talking about here. You know, spiritual fathers quote a verse, and they'll, then they'll give you a, a personal example. This works in my life, and I'm living proof. Fathers say, you can't say this does not work because I'm living proof. Fathers have been through life, and their life is proving the word of God. Fathers know by experience. They've gone through things with Christ at their side. That's a spiritual father. That is one I want near me in tribulations. I want to hear what worked for them. I need that. I need a living example. You know. So when they quote a verse, you have extra faith to believe because you saw what God has done in them. And so they always have a verse just right for you. They may have tried things and they've blown it, but they have found that the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are just empty pursuits because they're growing. The things of the world, the world are growing strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And so these fathers, they found that nothing in the flesh satisfies them. All the division it caused, all the families that it blew up because I was acting in my flesh instead of the Spirit, the sexual sin that caused pain, the desire to get ahead of others, and those that were, their self-serving attitudes that they had that never worked. They found only Christ satisfied. See what happened when you grow as a Christian? The little children, young men, and fathers. So, save yourself from heartache and pain and learn from godly men and women. And learn from those who've been there. Find a mature person to disciple and mentor you. You'll grow. That's the goal. That's the goal. We said part of the cane is get a hundred disciples. You know. And I gave, I shouldn't tell you this, I gave young all those discipleship materials and stuff. He has in his heart and his plan that each of you will get one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Well, you start memorizing scriptures and memorizing encouragement verses. It's so neat. Like they asked me to come up in the front and pray with people that need prayer. 
So I, I'll never forget it. This one day, this girl came up, and I, I was able to counsel her with the encouragement verses. And then I prayed for her using the encouragement verses. You can be that! You know? As you start memorizing these verses, and Young has all that stuff I gave to <laughs> So, so uh, Paul is a spiritual father. He said, the things that you see in me, practice those things. And he can say that because he's a spiritual father. Do you want to become one? Do you desire that kind of maturity in your life? Where do you want to do, become? And uh, you decide. That's just crazy when I think about it. When, uh, yeah, I'd like to do that. Well, nobody's going to tell you to do that. You decide what you're going to do in your spiritual life. You decide that. So, anyway, so we're all children of God, born into God's family. And in our maturity, we can remain little kids, or we can become young men, where we are learning the word and overcoming the evil one. And then, there's a few that will become actual spiritual fathers. We're all born ones, and some will stay at the infant stage. To a maturing Christian, the world is losing its appeal. Flat out, I'm telling you. If the world is losing its appeal to you, you're growing in Christ. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, When I became a man, I put away the childish things. So a Christian stays away from the world because of what the world is. It's that satanic system that opposes Christ. You don't want any part of it anymore. And the growing Christian stays away from the world because of what the world does to him. It attracts us to live on sinful substitutes of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. The growing Christian stays away from the world because of what he is. He's a child of God. Hopefully he's becoming a young man and maybe even a father one day. And the world doesn't last. There's only one thing that lasts. And we find that in verse 17 and number 4 in your notes. Do not love the world because where the world is going. Listen, look at this, you guys. The world is passing away. That world, that attraction that we thought would satisfy us, it's passing away. And its lust will pass away. But look what it says. Only the one who does the will of God abides forever. The world has a timetable, and it's not going to last forever. Sooner or later, people everywhere must face the fact that it's all over, man. It's like, it's like Mickey Mantle. Anybody heard of Mickey Mantle? Mickey Mantle was on the Yankees, and he loved uh, women, fast cars, and, and fast beers, whatever it is. The whole world thing. And there was a, a chapel leader by the name of Bobby Richardson. And Bobby would talk to Mickey Mantle about Christ a lot. Well, it came to be, uh, Mickey Mantle grew old and was on his deathbed. And he thought about all the women, all the alcohol, all the riches. And he said, those things are passing away. I want Bobby Richardson here. Because he's the only thing I saw that had life. And Bobby came and led him to Christ. I wouldn't advise living your life that way. You know, I'll call somebody. <laughs> you know, when I jump out of the airplane and the shoe doesn't come, I'll just say, Lord, come into my heart. It doesn't work like that. You know. Listen, you guys. The world is passing away in its lust. The one who does the will of God fights for God. That's the only thing that's going to last. And God does get the last say. And he will one day get the glory he deserves. And we who are on his side, we win! We're the winners, you know. 
mature Christians see and understand that this world is passing away. So since we have such, such a great eternity, we can live for what is so much better. Hebrews says, the great heroes of the faith live for the unseen things. They were strangers and pilgrims on this earth, and they lived for the city to come. In Bible times, many believers lived in tents because they didn't want to get a house going because you know God would come back and and uh, and take them at that moment. You know, but so you can't take any of this stuff with you. You know, you can't have all these suitcases and come to turnstile in heaven. And you know, you gotta let them down. You know, you ever see a hearse hauling a U-Haul? And so John is contrasting a life lived for eternity and a life lived for the world's pleasures. And so the worldly person lives for the flesh, the eyes, lustful eyes, the pride of life. The worldly person lives for what he can see. The spiritual believer lives for the unseen realities of life. Because we look, First Corinthians 4 says, we look at things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's what we live for, you know? The worldly person lives for pride of life and vain glory. And even every great nation in history was finally conquered by another nation. Nineteen world civilizations have slipped into oblivion. There's no reason to think that ours will endure forever because the world is passing away. So why live for what's dying, right? And long after this world system with its proud philosophies and egocentric individualism and godless materialism, materialism has been forgotten, God's faithful will remain sharing in his glory forever. So, and God is so cool. I believe that God's going to create for eternity. And we're going to be witnesses of his creation. He's going to create this, create that. We're going to just, just see this, you know? And so when you get down, remember whose side you're on. First uh, Peter 2.9, I think, says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, has never in, entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. And this world is passing away. But whoever does the will of God lasts forever. So John ends this section encouraging us to seek God's will, live for God's will because it lasts forever. And so, and how can we know the eternal will of God in this life? There's just five points there. Something that you can look at. And, uh, and you're probably, are you awake still? Everybody all right? I got a microphone, that helps, you know. So do this. Present your bodies a holy living sacrifice. That's worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind by God's word that you might prove what his will is. And then know his word. God's will is in his word. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Walk by faith. Walk by faith. You know, uh, Romans 12 2 says, present your bodies a holy living sacrifice. Uh, do not be conformed to the world, but transform the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is. When I read proving that the will of God is, I look in the past and I see God's will all the way along. That was God's will, that was God's will, that was That was God's will, and you see God's will in your past. So I see that Romans 12, too, as you're proving the will of God. So I can prove the will of God by looking at my past. And the, as far as the future goes, I walk by faith. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer... I who live with Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live by faith in the Son of God. See, that's what it is. The rest of this day, you walk by faith. A year from now, you're going to look back at these days and say, 
that was God's will, because you're walking in faith and walking in the knowledge of His Word. You know, uh, know your gifts and talents. That's how you know God's will. Delight in Him. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. So we might be in this world physically, but we're not in this world spiritually. We are in the world, but don't let the world get into you. What do you live for? The present or God's will that lasts forever? And so, build your house on the solid rock. Okay. And so, I know I gave you a lot of stuff because, you know, I have a lot of stuff because... <laughs> <laughs> because I, I've only done this one time and I have to tell you everything in, in one time. So that's like I don't get to preach very much, or when I preach, you know, I just I well, maybe I go too long, but I try to get all the nuggets that I've got from the last the last six months or whatever, you know. So so let me just say, in conclusion, don't love the world because what the world is. It's not nature, it's not humanity. It's that invisible world run by our arch enemy that opposes God. Don't love that world. Don't love the world for what it does to us. It's that ungodly system that appeals to that old nature of the flesh. It's there. But you have a new nature to counteract the old. If you find yourself more flesh than spirit, stop, repent, allow the Holy Spirit to control your life. And it's getting back to the basics. Time in the Word. I know that already. Time in the Word. I say it again. Prayer, fellowship, witnessing to others, obedience. You know, sometimes I feel, I gotta quit because it's getting late. Sometimes I feel like if I just find a verse in the Bible that will get me there and I'll be there, you know, hey guys, you know what? You know a lot of the Bible. We're just not being obedient to what we already know. So, be obedient. So, oh boy. Okay. I gotta stop. Do not love the world because of what a Christian is. We have to get beyond the feel of the world. We must long to grow from little children to young men to fathers. And we need to, to not just know the Father, but know, know the Father. And it happens by know, knowing the Word of God. And fathers are made by those who not only read the Word, but they become all the things in it. And fathers know that this world is not satisfied. They've learned that attempting to satisfy their flesh nature never brings happiness. That's a spiritual father right there. Things of the world, forget it, man. I've been there. You know? I do a lot of high school ministry and I tell them, if you do this, this will happen. If you do this, this will happen. And they leave, they go away to school and come back and say, Dave, you were right. Why can't we why do we have to be trial and error learning? Why can't we learn from the spiritual fathers and the spiritual mothers around us, you know? But anyway, but fathers have learned that what we have in Christ is not just pain and gold, but it's gold all the way through. You know? So don't love the world because where the world is going, it's not going to last. And everything in the world is going to fade away. Only what is done in the will of God will last. And so that's my encouragement to you. The world, you know what it is, it's not Yosemite. I know, because God created All that is in the world is passing away, but only God's will will remain. So, take this to heart and read these verses about every day. You know, read First John every day for a month and it will be changed. You know, but don't love this world because our citizenship isn't here. You know, we're waiting for our Savior. So, 
I'm going to pray. Thank you guys. Was it was it too long? Was it all right? No. Okay. I don't even know how long long I I talked. Well, I'm afraid to look. Okay. Well, I want to just pray for you guys and and thank you for allowing me to do this. It's just an awesome privilege. You know, after I get through doing this, like all day, I I will say to myself, Lord, you can take me now if you want. Because I always look back on my life and I say, I don't know what I did for you, but I did something. And so just being here with you guys, I know something was done today. Because that's the Holy Spirit. So, you can pass it up. Mom, I'm all right. <laughs> okay. Lord, we uh, thank you for the difference that you made. Thank you that you've made us your, your children, your little children, all of us are your children. And then the other part of that is that many of the little children are just immature. God, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for working in our lives and our hearts. Help us to be young men that know your word and, and overcome the evil one on a consistent basis and get us into that pattern where we're approaching the, the world with your word and using your word as a sword against all that's getting thrown at us, God. And just within your grace, we desire to be Father, Lord. Help us to use everything that comes into our lives for others, to build them up and encourage them and to pray with them, God. We desire to be fathers. Thank you for this message and showing us how to grow, showing us how to stay clear of this stupid world. Help us to hide under the shelter of your wings and we will uh, come before your throne one day uh, having uh, where you will say to us, well done, done, good. And faithful servant. Thank you for today. In Jesus' name. Amen.